Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. This week, you've been hearing a lot about vaccinations. Health officials say they're in a battle against misinformation and a disturbing rise in cases of measles and other diseases as a result. The thing is, those conversations center on childhood vaccinations. It can be easy to forget that we adults also need to roll up our sleeves. So what vaccinations do you actually need as a grown-up? Turns out most of us think we know the answer, but we're wrong. Like, really wrong. You see, every couple of years, the Public Health Agency of Canada asks Canadians about the vaccines they have. In the 2016 survey, 88% of those people questioned said they're all good. They reported being completely up to date with all the vaccines recommended for someone their age. But when they were asked specifically what shots they'd had, just 3% actually had all the age-appropriate vaccines. Clearly, many of us need a catch-up. I've asked a really smart family doctor, Iris Gorfinkel, to help fill in the gaps. Not only does Iris see patients of all ages, she also does research in health policy. Lately, she's been trying to figure out how we can better make sure adults get the vaccines they need when they need them. Hi, Iris. Hey there. Before we get down to our question today, which is which vaccines do grown-ups need, I have to ask, are you surprised by the findings from that survey? Actually, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that it's shocked. that low. I would have thought, I don't know, 40%, 30%, but to hear a, like 3%, it's unbelievably low. What the heck do you think is going on there? It's a complete disconnect. I think family doctors probably believe that we're doing a better job than we are, which is sad to say. We often think we're better than we are at whatever we do. But there's another aspect to it, too, and that's that we're simply not giving it the time that it needs. That's a serious problem. Patients come into the family doctor's office with their veritable list of problems that are going wrong. And that includes everything from their diabetes. And then they've got their hypertension and they've got et cetera, et cetera. And so what happens? We've got to attend to the things they're worried about. And vaccines, down the list. So let me put you on the spot. As a family doctor, do you talk to your adult patients about vaccinations? Of course I do. I'm a vaccine researcher and I'm totally into it. But that said, I'm probably not as good as I think I am or would like to believe that I am. So why is there this gap in knowledge? We seem to be pretty good at keeping track of childhood vaccinations. Why does it do this kind of a nosedive later? There are so many reasons why. First of all, patients themselves are not prioritizing vaccinations. And doctors clearly are not prioritizing vaccinations as well. And often it takes going into a long-term care home before they even get their pneumonia vaccination, which is really sad. I mean, that should be given to everyone over 65. And if they're high risk, over 50. So it's, it's pretty concerning how bad we are at it. But we also lack a national vaccine registry, which could have been helpful, or at least, at the very least, a provincial vaccination registry. 
You're also dependent on how often your patients actually show up in the doctor's office. That's the conundrum here, that if you're healthy, you're probably not even going to go. And in fact, everybody should have like a full review just specifically for vaccinations, just to go through that list to make sure that, you know, you're up to date and everything. I want to talk about some possible solutions in a, in a bit. But since we're a news you can use kind of podcast, uh, I want to get us all on the same page. So as adults, what are the vaccines we need to make sure we get and when? All right. So the short list, HPV or Gardasil 9, is probably one of the single most important. Why? Because that's a cancer-reducing vaccination. You know, Gardasil 9 is recommended in both men and women right up until the age of 45. So that's a biggie. Go on. So other vaccinations. You're supposed to get tetanus and diphtheria every 10 years. That's pretty standard. But most people don't realize pertussis. Pertussis is actually an important vaccination to receive sometime in adulthood. Whooping cough. Who would have thought? And the reason is, is because there's thousands of cases. Did you hear that? Thousands of cases a year in Canada alone of pertussis. And that's a preventable disease. We have um, outbreaks of mumps as well in this country, don't we? True enough. So the current recommendation in in Canada is if you're born after 1970, you should have a dose of measles, mumps, rubella vaccination simply because that group did not get two doses. That group mainly got one dose. So you should have two doses if you're born after 1970. Now, if you're born before 1970, it's assumed that you have natural immunity to that already, to measles, mumps, and rubella. So to be clear, uh, when we're talking about MMR, there aren't routine adult boosters for these vaccines. Not routine for MMR. If you're pregnant or planning to be pregnant, you want to make sure you have immunity to rubella before pregnancy. So that's one of the reasons to see your doctor actually before you get pregnant to make sure that that vaccine is is on board. What about polio? Polio is also recommended a single dose as an adult. So once you're done, you're done. It's kind of nice that way. You get your pertussis, done for life. This I'm talking as an adult. You get your polio, boom, done for life. Great. Let's talk about pneumococcal vaccine. Huge topic. And that, that's kind of heartbreaking because people don't even realize there's a vaccination, actually two, against pneumonia. And that's, it's heartbreaking because it's, it's a preventable disease to some extent. Now, pneumonia comes in many varieties, to be fair. There could be viral pneumonias, even fungal pneumonias. But the bacterial type, the pneumococcal type, that type has a, a tremendous reduction after vaccination. So in this realm, there's two vaccines. One is the Prevnar 13, and that vaccine is best at reducing community-acquired pneumonia. In fact, after getting that, boom, 75% reduction in pneumococcal pneumonia. That's a huge impact. And that's a single shot, one-shot deal, lifetime reduction of community-acquired pneumonia by 75% of the pneumococcal variety. Huge. The other type is called Pneumovax 23, covered by our governments. That's fantastic when you reach 65. In fact, they even cover a booster shot at age 70 if you're in a high-risk category. So that's also, that's better for invasive pneumococcal disease, the kind you might see in hospital. Now, I ask you, what makes more sense? Does it make sense to treat it once you have it, or does it make more sense to actually provide the vaccination? And the data on this is very clear. The vaccination wins hands down. You mentioned uh, that uh, pneumococcal vaccine protects against pneumonia. Does it protect against other pneumococcal uh, bacterial infections? Great question, Brian. And the answer is yes, it does. 
It protects against invasive pneumococcal disease, including sepsis. And that's an evil condition where the bacteria enters the bloodstream and carries actually a very high mortality rate. So who should get the pneumococcal vaccine? The pneumococcal vaccination is recommended in high-risk groups over the age of 50, but also it's given as a routine over the age of 65. So it's, you can see it's kind, of, it's kind of like this open dialogue you should have with your family doctor. So if I'm seeing somebody who's, say, 40, and they're really at high risk, say they're immunosuppressed, they got lung disease, they've got, they're smoking for a long time, COPD, they have kidney disease or liver disease, like these are all high-risk groups. Certainly the immunosuppressed, patients with leukemia, lymphoma, HIV, all of this stuff, they all should be vaccinated. In, uh, in the teenage years, we have meningococcal uh, meningitis vaccine. What about adults? So in adults, we should be getting one dose of meningococcal vaccination after the age of 18. And, but I didn't get it. Well, then you're part of that 3%. Did you think you were good? uh, I thought I was good, yes. And you're an emergency room doctor. How's that work? Um, Well, um, as a physician, uh, I have mastery over disease, which means I I don't get sick. (gasps) Oh, Brian, if that were only the deal, I'm waiting for that deal to fall on me. Actually, doctors make the worst patients, and and the worst things happen to doctors and their families. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That that was certainly the wisdom that I received. Queer life in Montreal was wild. Montreal in the 90s was a great time, but it had a dark side. It was... Not a safe city for gay people back then. But what else was behind a series of deaths in the city? Somebody's killing gay men. We want to know why. I'm Francis Pourd, and this is The Village, The Montreal Murders. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. What about the flu shot? Flu shots especially important, you know, because the cases of influenza we see in any given year in Canada number up to 50,000. Um, we see a number of deaths in the many hundreds every year from influenza, potentially a preventable disease. The efficacy is 19% at a low to about 55%. So these vaccinations are not going to stop you from getting the flu 100%, but they're pretty darn good guesses. That's the World Health Organization who takes a look at what are the circulating strains and decides what are the strains that we should be providing protection against. Uh, You forgot uh, chickenpox vaccine. Varicel is important. Well, 97% of the population has had actual disease. And if a person's had actual disease, you you don't need the varicel vaccine. But if you believe you've never had it, then we can actually do a titer. That's a blood test that tells us, are you immune or not? Has your body seen or not chickenpox? And in fact, if the blood test is negative and you're not pregnant, you can get varicella vaccination. Two doses. Okay, so that's chickenpox. Whenever I think chickenpox, I think shingles because mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is, okay, what shingles? Shingles is a reactivation of the chickenpox virus. So for reasons we don't fully understand, in, a, in 20 to 40% of individuals who've had chickenpox, it's like a bulb that comes up in the springtime. Here it is. This chickenpox virus stays dormant near the spinal cord in what's called the dorsal ganglion, and then it comes traipsing down the nerve. And as it traipses down that nerve, guess what? It damages the nerve. 
as in permanently potentially. And it's that nerve damage which is the biggest problem with it that can cause a chronic pain called postherpetic neuralgia. And that is a, that's actually its biggest challenge. So people see the rash and think, oh, it's just a rash. Actually, it's not the rash which we worry about. It's the damage to the nerve that that virus can do as it traipses down that nerve ending. So we have not one, but two vaccines against shingles. That's right. And in fact, Ontario does cover Zostavax, which is the older vaccination. It's the only province, to my knowledge, that actually offers coverage for that. However, that's not as efficacious as the newer vaccination, the Shingrix. So Shingrix reduces it by a whopping 97%, unless you're a super elder, in which case it's still pushing 90%. But that's a massive difference. Like you think about that, that takes what's now a common disease and relegates it to the rare. So let's go back to that survey that that we were talking about off the top. That survey suggested that fewer than half of the people over 50 have had the shingles vaccine. It's unbelievable. I think it's I think it's fewer than that actually for shingles vaccine just because people are not first they're not aware of that that's even a disease. They don't even know that that's a thing. They kind of know maybe their aunt somebody who had it. How can they not? There's commercials mm. all over the place. Well, people don't. What can I say? Or they look at it and say that's not me. That's somebody else. And I'll tell you a true story. Uh, my late mother who had dementia at the time, my my dad was looking after my mother at home. The tipping point to her being hospitalized uh, with with life-threatening dehydration and then ultimately ending up in a long-term care facility was that she developed shingles in the neck and stopped swallowing. It's so sad. But a lot of people don't realize that these diseases are, in fact, life-altering diseases. These diseases have the potential of taking somebody who's independent, who's functioning perfectly well, and relegating them to being much either frail or dependent on others for care. That's like everyone's worst nightmare. There's an irony here that I want to get to uh, because, you know, we all hear about, you know, being 65 or 70 isn't what it used to be. Many people are maintaining youthful activities for longer. They feel better. They're, they're working out. Do people have a sense that, hey, I'm healthy? I don't need the shingles vaccine? You know what? And it's so sad because still the immune system marches on to the tune of something depressing called immunosenescence. And what does that mean? That means as we get older... What happens? Our body is actually less able to fight infection successfully. And that's a major problem. So if you just go right across the board, who is at the highest risk of death, of hospitalization, of ICU? It's actually repeatedly, again and again, those individuals over the age of 65 because of this thing, immunosenescence. They're just less able with every passing decade after that to fend off infections. At the beginning of the episode, I mentioned how people have heard a lot more about vaccines lately because healthcare providers are trying to combat misinformation and vaccine hesitancy when it comes to parents uh, getting their kids vaccinated. Are we also seeing vaccine hesitancy in adults? I would say to a lesser degree, there is vaccine hesitancy, but I like to think of it more as enlightened vaccine hesitancy. In other words, educate me, fill in the gaps in my knowledge, and then I can be convinced. I think most adults really want to be vaccinated. If you take a look at the numbers that are out there, it's less than 3%. It's like this tiny, tiny, but unfortunately very vocal, who actually all out refuse vaccines. We've been talking a fair amount about seniors, um, but I wanna get back to younger adults for a moment. 
Many of them these days don't have family doctors. You know, they go to walk-in clinics. How are they supposed to get prompted to get their immunizations? Oh, my gosh. So you are tapping into the very soul of my being. I've just finished a paper on this, actually. And I think what we need, and desperately so, are robust provincial and territorial vaccination registries. So in an ideal world, what would happen is as soon as I were giving Brian Goldman his vaccination, I'd scan that vaccine, I'd scan his health card, and boom, it would populate three records. It would populate his health record, it would populate local public health records, and it would also populate provincial registries. He could automatically see what vaccinations he's had, and also, automatic reminders could go out to him. Email reminders could go out. Is anybody actually doing that now? It's, it's a wish. <laughs> it, it's a hope. The problem with our current vaccine registries is that they're largely relegated to kids only. They're pediatric registries. It's easier to, to have a registry for kids because they're going to school. And there isn't any place adults have to be by law where you, you capture 100%, in theory, 100% of the population, and you, can, and you can ask, say, what's your status? I want to get back, though, to, to that 30-something person who's going to walk-in clinics when they need uh, family practice-type care. So are they going to get their vaccinations at a, at a walk-in clinic? Almost certainly not, because there's a total disconnect between expectations of care. Patients go in and think they're caring for themselves by just looking after the things that their body is screaming at them to look after. What you should have is a family doctor who gives you all of the standard cares. That's including preventative care. You can try to sell the idea of a family doctor, but that we're still going to leave that's still going to leave some people out. For so sure it's going to leave people. Who's going to prompt them? How do we prompt them that you need these are the shots you need and 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 this is the schedule. Shows like this, public health efforts. I think that overall, and this is sad to say because I am a family doctor. Nurses do better. They do better than we do as family doctors. They're more on the vaccine schedule. They're more likely to send out reminders. We know that patient reminders make a huge difference in being compliant. What about a prompt with your health card or with your driver's license application? We could, there's so many great ways of just building in those reminders. But unfortunately, we're not taking full advantage of digital health care as it could be given. We should have robust provincial and territorial vaccination registries. But right now, unfortunately, that's just Iris Gorfinkel's wish. How optimistic are you that any, all or part of this will happen? Give us a decade. I think it's really cool. I think it's definitely moving in that direction. We see a lot of that happening already. In the meantime, any practical advice for getting those vaccinations up to date and how to keep track of them? Make an appointment. I hate to say it, just make an appointment with your family doctor. See what's there. You know, get your titers done if there's questions around it and let your family doctor just fill in those gaps finally. It's actually literally one, maybe two visits. And that could be life-changing, life-saving, certainly life-altering. Look, look for a nurse practitioner instead? Absolutely. <laughs> nurse practitioner, nurses, health units, all of these are good options. Community health clinics? A hundred percent. Thanks, Iris. <laughs> Anytime, Brian. Dr. Iris Gorfinkel is a family doctor and researcher in Toronto with an interest in making sure adults get the vaccines they need. Here's your smart dose of information on vaccines this week. Grown-ups need them as much as kids do. HPV, or human papillomavirus vaccine, isn't just for teens. Anyone under 45 years of age can benefit. As you get older, pneumococcal vaccine can save your life and the shingles vaccine can save you a lot of pain. Keep in mind that with new studies come new recommendations. 
Research just published in the journal Clinical Infectious Disease suggests that adults may not need booster shots for tetanus and diphtheria if they were fully vaccinated as kids. Check with your doctor if you're not sure. Which brings me to my final smart dose. Get a family doctor or nurse practitioner. In the current system, you probably won't get prompted to get vaccinated unless you have one or if you happen to visit a travel medicine clinic. If you want to talk about adult vaccines or any other questions you'd like us to tackle on the dose, tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBC Podcasts or at CBC White Coat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can also email us. Our address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for all your feedback on last week's episode about body mass index. A few of you wrote to let us know that our guest, Dr. Sharma, was slightly off in his description of the Minnesota starvation experiments. He said the people who were subjects in those experiments were conscientious objectors to the Vietnam War. In fact, the studies took place in 1945 and involved World War II objectors. Thanks for setting us straight. The Dose is produced by Nicole Ireland, Donna Dingwall, and me, with digital support from Olivia Pascarelli and Fabiola Carletti. Shout out to Alison Broddle, Managing Editor at CBC Radio, Arif Narani, the Executive Producer of CBC Podcasts, and Leslie Merklinger, CBC's Director of Audio Innovation, and our guest, Dr. Iris Gorfingel. And one more thing, The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.